Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, we're going to fly through the book of Judges and add some other stuff to it. All right, are you ready? How many, how many know you're just starting Judges, so we're going to talk about it today, and you can read the rest of it through the week. But uh, Joshua was awesome, wasn't Joshua awesome? And so good, though, going into the land and victories and so many amazing things. Well, we're not in Joshua anymore. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's go back to Deuteronomy, uh, because Joshua, at the end of Joshua, what Joshua does is he brings all the folks together, and he says, look, I'm, I'm going to be gone, and what I want you to remember is, and he read to them the book of Deuteronomy. He read to them Moses' summary of what the Lord had done for them. So he stood there that day, and they read the book of Deuteronomy, and he wanted to remind them there's some things you need to remember as you're entering in the land. So one of the things he would have read to them was Deuteronomy 8, 18 and 19. He said, and you shall remember, say remember. You got to remember, folks. You got to remember. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Come on, that's a good word right there. Remember that. He gives you power. He gives you power to get wealth. It's so good. He wants to prosper you and bless me. And, and why does he do that? He does that because he has to. He has to do it because he's a, he's a God of his word. He's a God who keeps his promises. And he has to do that because there's a covenant that he has with your forefathers that you and your seed, everything that you have will be blessed and they'll be blessed to be a blessing. <laughs> there's no alarms today. Whoever's got that, stop it. You know? <laughs> no alarms, no buzzers. I can go as long as I want. Praise the Lord for that. How many enjoyed the buzzers last week? Repent right now. <laughs> but you know, God had to honor his covenant. God's got to keep his word. So, so God has to do it because God said it. And he's, got to, he, he's committed to bring this together and, and to bring it. So remember that. Remember that. Remember, remember all the time. Remember when you walk in and you, you got these boots and they're $60 and you take them to the register and they say... You know, they're on sale for 19 Well, there's no sale tag on them. I know, but I checked it in, bing, barcode, those are 19 You save 40 bucks. Right there, I remember that, you know, the blessing and favor of the Lord is on my life, and I'm blessed to prosper everywhere I go. Remember when you're pulling in the parking lot, and uh, you pull into that meter, and you pull up to that meter that's still got two hours on it? Thank you, Jesus. You know, it's just favor of God's on you. Remember, I'm telling you, the world has been set up to advantage you because you're a child of God. And you got to believe that. Like, don't, don't just believe it. Remember it. I mean, constantly remind yourself of the fact that I'm a child of God and I have a covenant of prosperity and blessing. And he's got to do it. As you said to your forefathers, and I love that phrase, as it is today, this day. As it is this day, this day. Next verse, verse 19. Then it shall be, if by any means you forget that the Lord your God, and you forget him that he's your God, and you follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day, you shall surely perish. If you set up something else in your life as your source, if you set yourself up in your life as your source, if you decide that I want to have a modified religious program where I decide what I obey, don't obey, I, I set my own rules, I decide how I want to do my life, then you are living in functional uh, idolatry. And uh, don't do that. 
But I tell you, thank God we're not in the old covenant. We're in the new covenant. And even when you do fail to manifest the good things of God, Jesus became a curse for you so that he could always remind you, you're condemned to blessing, smarten up. And he'll get you back on the blessing trail. Thank, say, thank God, I'm in the new covenant. Amen. Sadly, we won't start reading the New Testament until sometime in September. <laughs> but I'll add some to the scriptures every week just because we need them. Amen. All right. You ready? Here's some judges. You ready? Boom. How many know who they are? That is the current Canadian Supreme Court justices right there. How many can name two of them? How many can name two of the Supreme Court justices in America? Kavanaugh, Gorsuch. It's amazing how we, we're so connected and we're, we're wired into the, you know, we got so much to that, you know. But, you know, well, anyway, judges. We're in the book of Judges. Judges, here's my favorite judge right here, my favorite judge. <laughs> gotta, gotta love Judge Judy. Gotta, hey? What are you talking about over there? What is the matter with you? Judges. And by the way, you know what? He's still moving. Amen. All right, give me another slide. You gotta love uh, Judge Judy. Judges, the word judges, the word shafat, the word is to execute judgment, to govern, to vindicate. The Lord provided like warrior saviors. So we think of judges, we think of somebody who sits and decides a matter, but these were really not that kind of judge. These were judges who came and got engaged and got involved, and they were like warrior saviors who fought for undeserving people who could not save themselves. This is a really good lesson in the book of Judges. Saviors were raised up by the Lord who fought for undeserving people who could not save themselves. What we saw was a pattern of people falling into messy situations, but God constantly kept raising up Savior warriors who came along, who were raised up and inspired and anointed by the Spirit of God by them to do supernatural feats and incredible things, and these Savior warriors came and fought for undeserving people who could not save themselves. Those were the judges. And that's really what I want you to see in the book of Judges, because the rest of it, man, you read it and you just want to take a shower. But anyways, rather than being titled the book of Judges, it could be titled the book of Warrior Saviors. Hallelujah. All right, we're going to read Judges chapter 2, verse 8 to 19. Let me hear your Bibles. Let me hear the pages go flutter, flutter, flutter. Show me your Bibles today. Lift them up high. Let me see the Word of God. Wow, some of you folks, you leave it on the couch at home, or what do you do? Well, you got it on your iPad or your iPhone? I'm just p messing with you. I, I actually leave this one on the front row. It's my preaching Bible. So I got a preaching Bible. Judges 2. Judges 2, 8, all the way through to 19. There's only a bit of it on the screen, so read along with me. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land that had been allocated at Timnasera, which is in the uh, country of Ephraim, in the Mount of Gash, Israel. Then, after that generation died, verse 10, after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge, they didn't know the Lord, they did not remember the mighty things that he had done. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they began to serve the images of Baal. Baal was the, was the god of the region they were coming in to dispossess. They began to serve the gods of that area. They abandoned the Lord, the god of their ancestors, who brought them up out of Egypt, and they went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people that were around them. They angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal, and the images are Ashtoreth, and this made the Lord burn in anger against Israel, so he handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around them. They were no 
longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord actually fought against them, causing them to be defeated just as he had warned them in Deuteronomy. If you don't keep me first, you're going to go into trouble. If you don't honor me first, you're going to have problems. Amen? Now get here to the front and put your nose in the carpet and cry about that. Because some of you have successfully been selfish all week long. That'll preach. If you want to preach the law and bondage. But it'll move people. Verse 16, then the Lord raised up a judge. He raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their attackers. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. The Lord raised up judges to rescue them. Yet Israel did not listen to the judges, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. Oh, stubborn people. How quickly they turned away from their path of their ancestors and walked in disobedience to the Lord's command. Verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, he was that judge and he rescued the people from their suffering. But when the judge died, the people returned to their corrupt ways. Let me know, let me tell you, let me make it clear to you. Jesus Christ is your warrior king. He is your savior. And he died for you, but he didn't just die for you. He's alive for you. And he's not just alive for a bit. He's alive forevermore. And those warrior saviors, they might have died and the people were left to their own selves and what they could do. But our Jesus, he died, but he was raised again. And because he's risen again, the death that he died, he died for me. He died once for all. So that I am dead to sin. I'm dead to wickedness. I'm dead to the devil. I'm dead to the issues of this world. I'm dead to all of that. And I'm alive in him and I'm alive to God. I was a slave to sin. Now I am a slave to righteousness. My warrior king is alive today. And because he's alive, he's enforcing my freedom and my covenant every single day of my life. Hallelujah. I just thought I'd throw that out. Rescued the people, then they turned away. But the judge died. The people turned to their corrupt ways, behaving worse, behaving worse than they had lived before. And that went, they went after other gods, serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. Judges 3, 1 to 2. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test the Israelites who had not experienced war. These are the nations, and he lists all the nations. Why did he leave those nations there? I mean, if you're giving me the land, like imagine like I'm giving you that house, says the Lord, that house is yours. You walk through the door, tap, tap, tap. Hello? Hey, this is my home. Yeah, I'm staying. You got to get out. Well, I'm not getting out. Oh, okay. Well, I'll let you have it then. Like, why, if, if it was mine, why didn't God kick out all the other people? Why didn't he evict all the other tenants? I mean, why did I knock on the door and <laughs> did that on vacation once? They gave me a hotel room and we went with my kids in the middle of the night tapping on a door in Cuba and I opened the door, had the key, opened the door and this big German guy came out with uh, his all together and uh, he started yelling in German at me and I was like, oh my goodness and I went downstairs and said, dude, you guys gave me keys to a room that's got people in it <laughs> and I said, and I'm very upset because my kids are now traumatized by everything they saw. <laughs> But it was good because they moved me to the very best part of the hotel. It had my own chef for the week. It was unbelievable. So the Lord even turns those things around for good. Amen? But here you are. I mean, here's, here's God. Why did he leave them there? Look what it says. Look what it says. It says he did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had not experienced, had no experience in battle. 
So listen, God's given you the land, but he wants you to learn what it is to take authority, wants you to know how to use Jesus' name, wants you to know how to, by faith, appropriate what he's blessed you with. Now, the devil is defeated. His authority is gone. He's totally been crushed, but there's still a mop-up duty to do, and there's still places where there are thrones and dominions and things of the Spirit that encroach upon God's purposes in the earth, and we have a responsibility, and we have victory. We don't fight to get victory. We enforce the victory everywhere we go, and we enforce the victory of God, and you need to enforce it. Whenever there's something encroaching upon the promise of God in your life, if the promise of God in your life is clear and it's not being manifested in your life, command the devil to take his filthy hand off it and command that to be open to you because that is legally yours because you are a child of God. Can I get an amen? The rules changed. I now possess this land, and you have to evict everybody who's encroached upon it. Thank you, Pastor. That was good. A quick outline of Judges. Quick outline. You ready? The roots of unfaithfulness, the results of the unfaithfulness, and then the range of the unfaithfulness. You got the the curses. Another way is the curses, the cycles, and the consequences. Or the sorry, the causes, the cycles, and the consequences. Now, now the roots or the cause was they didn't drive out their enemies. You'll see over and over again where it says this tribe did not drive out their enemies. This tribe did not drive out their enemies. This tribe did not drive out their enemies. If you don't drive out your enemies, eventually you may think that you're just walking by them, but eventually you'll be hanging around with them and eventually you'll be worshiping their gods. You got to drive it out. You got to get it out. And, you know, they didn't drive out their enemies. The results of the unfaithfulness is they became subject to their enemies. The range of their unfaithfulness was they became completely depraved. If you look at the last couple of stories, it's awful stuff. I mean, the, one of the last stories is about a fellow who had a concubine who he went and he went to the town where she was and he stayed in a guy's house for a few days and then the people of the town came and said, hey, you got a guest at your place. Yes, I do. Well, send them out so we can have sex with them. I mean, judges, a lot of it's rated R. Let's be quite honest, you know? And they said, no, I'm not going to do that. But hey, you can have my daughter and his concubine. And they had their way with his daughter and his concubine. And the concubine winds up dead on the doorsteps in the morning. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So it's pretty rough stuff. But then here's what the guy does. He takes the concubine, he chops her into 12 pieces, and sends body parts to all the 12 tribes. It's in your Bible. It's all, it's Okay. But then he did it on purpose to say, is this what Israel has come to? Is this what Israel has come to? And then they decided to go, and, and the place where it happened, they decided to go and, and you know take out those people who did that. But where they lived, the Benjaminites said, well, we're not going to let you. So then they started fighting with their own brothers, and there was nasty stuff. Thousands and thousands of people died. They had literally, from a place of entering into conquest, conquering, possessing the lands, enjoying the lands, partnering with God in the miraculous, they ended up in a place of absolute total depravity. So between the death of Joshua and Samuel rising up as a new judge, a prophet judge, it was just a spiral of ugly. But in the middle of the ugly, we saw God interjecting himself. In the middle of the ugly, we saw him raising up judges, raising up warrior saviors, raising up people to deliver them and bring them back. And whenever those judges were alive, they were living in the benefits of God. But when the judge died, but here's the thing, your judge is never going to die. He's alive forevermore. So that's a good word. So look at the cycle. Here's the cycle. Israel serves the Lord. Israel falls into idolatry. Israel is enslaved. Israel cries out to God. Uh, he raises up judges. Israel's delivered. Israel serves the Lord. Israel falls into idolatry, and it just, it just starts drilling down. So it's bad stuff. So it's a really good way to talk about your miserable life. 
Because you've been drilling down with that same issue for years, and you know the issue I'm talking about. You've been caught in habitual sin. You've been doing stuff you know you shouldn't do, and you've been drilling down. You need to get up here in the altar, put your nose in the carpet, because you've displeased the Lord, and you better feel sorry about it. You can get results preaching that stuff. But you know what I just preached? I just preached the law. And you know something about the law. The law has glory on it. Because when Moses got the law, his whole being was transformed. He shone. Literally, they said, you got to put a blanket on, dude. We can't even see. But it says that he had a glory that faded. His glory faded. But we have a glory in the new covenant that never fades. In fact, in the new covenant, we started in glory. And we keep on going glory to glory. Starts in glory. And goes the more glory. In the new covenant, you're not trying to get glory. It starts in glory. You go from glory to glory. It's good stuff. And that's the good news. Amen? That we got a new covenant. We got a new way. And you see, uh, every time you displease God, you don't fall into a cycle of drilling doubt and God abandons you. God will never, ever leave you or forsake you. See, we read Judges. says, you know, I read Judges. I start preaching out of Judges like it's new covenant stuff. I tell you, see, if you're evil, God's going gonna to separate himself from you. Because God can't look at sin, and if you're sinning, he's going to leave your life. And I don't know about you, but a lot of people could start feeling like, dude, I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. You know, how much of the law do I have to break for God to leave me? Just one little bit. If you've broken one bit, Jesus said, you've broken one bit, you broke it all. So thank God. But you know, the law has glory on it. So when I preach the law, literally it feels right. And sometimes you can get confused because the law has authority and the law has power and the law has glory on it, but it doesn't have the glory that the gospel does. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so when we read Judges, we got to always remember that we got to read everything through the filter of the cross. Everything. Because we are in a different covenant and a different disposition. But God did send these judges. So here they are. Here's the judges. Ready? There they are. You got Othniel. You got Ehud. I like Ehud. Ehud was a lefty. Any lefties in the room today? There was a lefty judge. And not a, not a long story, but you look, they had 80 years, 80 years of blessing under Ehud. And all Ehud did was he, he hid a, he hid a, he hid a, he hid, he hid a, a, a foot-long sword on his thigh. And with his left hand, he pulled it out and he stuck it in a big fat king's belly. And it went in so deep that the guy's bowels exploded and fell all over the place. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So... <laughs> Yeah, and I was, but I don't want to offend myself. I was going to title the sermon When Lefty Killed Fatty, but I didn't want to do that. But, uh, uh. Then Shamgar, he was the next judge, and he, he killed a, with an ox goat. I think he killed, what, 900 or something or 1,000 Philistines. And pretty awesome, but they had one year of freedom with him. Deborah, say all the women, say Deborah. Deborah was a judge because none of the guys could get it together. She rallied a whole group. She mustered the tribes together, had an amazing victory. And there was J.L. Remember J.L.? I mean, when Sisera the king went into her tent and he said, man, hide me, man. They are chasing me. Uh, miserable day today. He said, oh, no problem. Give me some water. I'll give you some warm milk. He falls asleep. And J.L., you know, just grabs a hammer and a tent peg and right through the temple. Hey, man, that was good. Amen. 
I tell you, this judge is rated R. It's like rough. A lot of violence, a lot of crazy stuff. Anyway, you got Gideon. I love Gideon, don't you? I mean, here's a guy terrified of the smallest clan, smallest people, a guy who doesn't think much about himself. He's in a wine trust trying to get enough wheat to make a biscuit. I mean, he's in the wrong place trying to do the wrong thing, doesn't know. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord shows up. You mighty man of God, you are God's hero. Huh? <laughs> you you got to be kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm the least of the least family, the least clan of the least tribe. I'm nothing. No, in God's eyes, you're a hero. The godly in the land are God's heroes. You're the hero of Almighty God. You are. You're not trying to be. You're not following one. You are one. You're the captain of your own destiny. God's got something powerful for you. So many things we can learn from Gideon, but God had to convince Gideon. He had to go through this massive exercise to get Gideon into his destiny, and he had to convince him by faith to do some incredible stuff. And then he goes, I'm going to raise up an army. So 32,000 people, 32,000 people, Army gets ready. He says, all right, we got we to gotta trim that down. By the time they're ready to go attack, the 32,000 is 300. And God says, ha, we're ready for victory. You got 300. He's like, are you kidding me? And then they took torches and clay pots. And they put the fire inside the clay pot. And they busted the clay pot and the fire shone out. And you know what? You got the glory of God in a clay pot. You know, the glory of God in clay pots is how God. But you know what? That's all good, but I'm not preaching on that today. Not preached on that day. Abimelech, Tola, Jair, Jephthah, love Jephthah. Jephthah was the, the son of a man. He was the daughter. He's the son of a prostitute. And the guy brought the son home and raised him with his family. But all the rest of the family hated him, didn't want anything to do with him. And when dad died, they kicked him out. So this was rejection. Anybody ever had rejection? I mean, this was rejection. But here's a guy who got the boot from the family, but he went to a place called Tob. Say Tob. You know what Tob is? Tob is good. He went to good. You know what? When you feel rejection, take your rejection to good. Go to its good. Take your rejection to the goodness of God. You know, he stayed in the goodness of God, and he used his giftings and his abilities and became a great warrior and a great leader. And sure enough, that whole tribe, they came back and said, Jephthah, we need you to lead us. We need you to redeem us. We need you to set us free from our oppressors. And Jephthah said, I will come back, but I'm not coming quietly. I'm only coming if we have a parade. I might have left in silence and disgrace, but I'm coming back in authority and power. You know, you'll come back in authority and power from whatever rejection if you'll take rejection to the place of good. It's all good. But I'm not preaching on that. So we got Isban, Elon, Abna, Samson. Nobody is no off, more often than anywhere else in the Bible it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power more often about Samson than anybody else in the Bible. And that's because Samson was a brute. He was seven foot 10. He had muscles on his muscles. His thighs were 480 inches thick. <laughs> Samson probably looked like me. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Oh, I have feelings. Did you, Cheryl? Did you hear that? Where's my mother? Samson probably looked like me. You know? <laughs> See, now that's because you think he was some muscle-bound guy. Because he did all these feats. You know, he didn't do it because he was strong and muscular. He did it because the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. He didn't pick up those gates because he could carry the gates. He picked up the gates because of the anointing. He didn't kill all those people with the jawbone of an ass. 
donkey, if you don't like that word. <laughs> he didn't do that because he was skilled at donkey waving. He did it because of the anointing. And the anointing will make you look like a genius. And the beautiful thing is, you know, he lost the anointing because he was familiar with it. And he woke up after he got a haircut and he jumped up like he always did. And when he tried to battle, he had no strength and they captured him. But on the last day of his life, he killed more Philistines than any other day because he cried out to God. And he was there blind and bald and bound. There's a good sermon in that. If you don't honor the anointing in your life, if you play familiar with the things of God, if you touch dead things, you're going to find yourself blind and bald and bound. You can preach some real good stuff from these stories. and You can make people feel really miserable about themselves. You could all be doing better, by the way. Try harder next week. Feel the anointing on that. When on that day, the Lord gave him his strength back, and he pushed the pillars of the temple, and he killed more Philistines that day than any other day. Anyways, I'm not going to preach on any of that. I am going to start preaching really fast, though, because <laughs> we're going to wrap it up. Hebrews chapter 11, 32 to 34, Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, who through faith, say through faith, how did they do all this? It, there they are. They're brought through the filter of the cross in the new covenant. And it says, through faith, they subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises. Out of weakness were made strong because valiant in battle turned the flight of the armies of aliens. Now, the book, the summary of the book of Judges in the la is in the last verse of Judges. And it's this. In those days, Israel had no king and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. God was their king. See, they, they thought they had no king, but God was their king. God said, don't, don't have a king like the other nations. I'll always be your king. It'll be a theocracy. Well, I'll be your God. Hear my voice. Walk with me. I'm your God. You're my people. But they, they didn't have a king. And the writer was like between, you know, the period of, uh, of Joshua and Samuel, the writer saying they had no king. And he's right. They needed somebody. See, the people of God need a king. You don't need a TV evangelist. You need a king. And you need a king and you have one and his name is Jesus. Jesus is your king. And you don't have to do what's right in your own eyes. You can honor him. You can walk by him. And you know what? He knows what's right. And he knows what's good for you. And it'll be delightful and it'll be wonderful. He's not going to send you to Africa with a woman who can't kiss. I was always afraid of that in Bible school, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> Guys in Bible school getting prayer. Brian was in Bible school. And he's like, Lord Jesus, don't send me to Africa with a woman who can't kiss. Wasn't that right, Brian? Is that right? Oh, okay, put words in your mouth there. <laughs> But sometimes God's will is something crazy and creepy. It's not. It's well-fitted. It's well-suited for you, and it'll give you joy in your heart. He's going to satisfy you in every way. Romans chapter 7, verse 23 and 25. Romans 7 is an interesting chapter because they're tucked between 6 and 8, which are beautiful chapters. You got this funny chapter where Paul's crying out, you know, I want to do what I do and I don't do it. And then I, I want to do what's right and I can't do it. And, and I'm trying to do what's right. But then all of a sudden, boom, there it is. Anybody ever felt that cycle in your life? That's kind of like the book of Judges. They wanted to serve God, but they kept on falling away. And see, Paul talks about that. He says, bringing me into captivity again to the law of sin, the law of sin, which is in my my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will be my judge? Who will be my savior, warrior, king? Who? He said, thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we get delivered from that cycle once and for all. Set free, absolutely set free. And then the next verse is Romans 8, 1. There is therefore no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. Hey, hey, 
There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, so we got to jump into some New Testament stuff. So Jesus, the warrior king, when he came on the scene in Mark 1, 14 and 15, Jesus came to Galilee. He preached the good news of the kingdom saying, it's time. It's time. And I, I feel like I'm announcing a UFC fight. It's time. <laughs> it's time. Jesus came preaching that the gospel of the kingdom, it is time. It's time for the gospel of the kingdom. Time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he used the word repent. Actually, he never used the word repent. The translators used the word repent. That's not the word repent is not the word that should have been used there. It's the worst idiotic translation in the scriptures. The word is metanoia. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand, metanoia, and believe the gospel. Met say metanoia. Metanoia, and believe the gospel. Repent. Here's what repent means. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hebrews 2.14, and as much the children partake of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same, that through death he might destroy him with the power of death. That's the devil. So Jesus came to bring in the kingdom, to eliminate the kingdom of darkness, bring you in the kingdom of light. Mark 4.17, for that, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent. He didn't actually say repent. He said, metanoia. Say metanoia. Metanoia, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The reign and the rule of the king is present and tangible and within your reach. The one who can enforce the promise of God in your life, every detail of it, it's here. It's here now, right now. Embrace it. But sadly, the translators put in this word repent. Let me define repent for you. Are you ready? Repent, feel sorry, self-reproachful, contrite for your past conduct, regret, be conscious, stricken about your past attitudes and actions. All right, go back to that other verse. Just go back there. Jesus began to preach, feel miserable about yourself, feel self-reproachful, feel condemned and feel bad about your whole past. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here's all the good news. Every deliverance, everything, it's here. Now feel miserable. Stick your nose deep in the carpet as far as you can go. Snot, tears, running mess. Because good news. It doesn't fit. And yet it's there. And people have been building sermons on that nonsense for years. If we would just repent, Pastor, God would visit our city. If we would just cry and weep and get ugly. Oh, God! God doesn't even attend those meetings. It says God is searching for the house of joy. It says it actually in Isaiah. You know, God, everything necessary for God to come to London has already taken place. Jesus is the new and living way. You know what? He thinks we should be happy about it, but we had a brutal translation, and it's very, very sad. Okay, a fellow named A.T. Robertson, I'm just using his book, this one theologian. I could use so many more theologians, but I'm just giving you one. A.T. Robertson, Word Pictures of the New Testament. Uh, actually, it was published not that long ago, but so many. Here's what he says. Regarding the translation of metanoia as repentance, here's what he said. Here's what he said. What a beautiful quote. It is a linguistic and theological tragedy. That is a linguistic and theological tragedy that somebody translated metanoia as repent. Misplaced by the Latin fathers, Latin church fathers, in the Latin Vulgate, they use the word poeniteum. I can't. 
say Latin, but that's what they, that's what they replaced in the Latin Vulgate. That's what they replaced. It's the Latin version of the Bible. That's what they replaced metanoia from. So a lot of our English translators and things after that, they followed the Latin church fathers and they decided that metanoia should be translated as repent is where we get the whole thing in English. What does repent mean? Do penance. Which is where if we're going to get the favor of God back in our lives, we have to do penance. We have to pay to get God to revisit our lives. Is anybody going to know, Ben, you got a no on that? How big is your no? Really big no. It annoys me. I think that's, I love that he says it's a linguistic and theological tragedy. I love the flow of that, but it really is. I could add all kinds of superlatives to it because so much of the church is bound up in this repentance thing. And I've gone to meetings and said, we should repent. I said, I can't today. Mine's in the shop. It's been abused so long. I'm waiting for it to get fixed. And the pastors look at me funny. I go, I'm not kidding, guys. I mean, I cannot believe the exercises we're doing when all of heaven and all the resources are out of our hands. You know, we're sniffling with our face in the carpet. And God says, get up! Change your mind! That's what it means. Good news. The kingdom is here. Change your mind. Align yourself with this new revelation. Just a minute. I just heard that God's really good and he loves me. He wants to promise everything to me. I just heard some good news from Jesus. And he's... I feel better now. I hurt myself. I am almost done. Thank you. And my wife told me, be nice. So... If I have not been nice to this point, I'm sorry. I do realize that sometimes when I preach on repentance, people thought they would hear something different. But you need to be delivered. You honest to goodness need to be delivered from the sermons that I'm preached to you where repentance has been used in those texts. Because it was the most brutal translation, the most damaging thing. It was a linguistic interpretative tragedy. Okay misplaced. Be sorry again. It's not only be sorry again, it's be sorry again and again and again and again and again. Keep on being sorry. This is a Canadian thing, right? Sorry. Oh, sorry. You're Canadian. <laughs> okay, let me move on because I got to move on, right? Say move on, pastor. All right. Repent. I like repent. I define it this way. I take it as a compound word. I say re is get back. Pent is on top. So for me, repent means, hey, here's the good news. The kingdom's within your reach. Get back on top. Get back. I invite you. I invite you to victory. I invite you to freedom. I invite you, lucky beggars, to everything you don't deserve. That doesn't make me sad. It actually makes me really, really happy. When Jesus preached, they received the word with gladness. Ha ha. I was preaching and the whole place was crying. Wow, it was such a good service. I want the whole church to be laughing because you know what? It's good news. All right, metanoia, that's what it is. It's a compound word. It means thought that comes afterwards. So I just received some good news. George told me that the chicken sandwich at Wendy's is way better than the chicken sandwich at KFC. So I went to Wendy's. I heard the good news. I got the chicken sandwich. And went, it is better. And I have now repented and I only go to Wendy's for my chicken sandwiches. 
Now, that's a weird analogy, but that's what it means. I just got new information. In light of the new information, what are you going to do? I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to align myself with that. And I'm going to say, God loves me. He's for me. He's not against me. That doesn't somehow make me sad. If there's any tears, it's tears of joy. Think differently. Change your mind in light of the new evidence. Give me another slide because I'm moving. Revelation. Here's the stages of repentance, of getting back on top repentance. You get a revelation. You get new information. You agree with the new information. And when you agree with it, it reassigns you to a better place and positions you in the goodness of God. Give me another slide because we're just flying now. Acts 2, 37, 39. They heard this. They were cut to the heart. They said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent. Change your mind. Be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. And you shall be saved and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's not a sad message. It's a good message. Give me another slide. Boom. Romans 4, 4 to 8. When people work, their wages are not a gift. How many worked somewhere this week? How many need a job? You know, when you got your check, did you call the boss and say, oh, thank you for paying me? You know, I was wondering if at the end of the week you would actually keep your word and pay me. You know, when you work, you don't say thank you. You say, well, we had a deal, so he paid me. You see, now listen, if people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they earn. But people are counted as righteous, not because of work, but because of faith. Faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke when he described the happiness of those who, dis, who declared righteous, who are declared righteous without working for it. You don't work. You cannot do anything to put yourself in the pleasure of God, except believe that he's pleased with me. The only thing, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what a joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Does that make you want to stick your nose 20 feet deep in the carpet? Makes me want to jump up and down and run around the building. Give me another slide. John 15, he said, the father is a vine dresser. Every branch that's in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. If you're not bearing fruit, he's going to take it away. He's going to take it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he'll prunes that it may bear more. Abide in me and I in you. Anyone who does not abide in me, he casts out. So the bottom group are people who don't abide. The top group are people who do abide, but they're not bearing fruit. People who don't abide were never in, never knew Jesus, never acknowledged him, never came into the kingdom. But the top group are people who are in the branch. They're in the vine, totally in. And that word takes away, again, is a brutal translation of scripture. Give me another slide. Takes away is the word arrow, and it means to raise up, elevate, lift up, raise up from the ground, take upwards, rise upwards, elevate, take upon oneself, carry it up, raise it up. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, I lift it out of the dirt so that it can be fruitful. He's not going to cut you off. If you're not manifesting all of the kingdom, he's not going to say, I'm done with you. He's going to pick you up and say, come on, I know you can do this. He's not going to write you off. So you read judges, it looks like, oh, we've gone too far. He's against us. God is against me. He's never, ever going to be against you. God is for you, and there's nothing you can do to change his mind. The prodigal son ran home, and he said, man, my dad, dad's probably so ticked off with me. I smell like pig. Oh, my goodness. I'm rehearsing. I'm rehearsing my repentance. Oh, Father, I feel terrible. He sees him. He runs towards him, falls on his neck, says, come on. Dad, I'm so sorry. Shut up. Get the robe. Get the pig. Get the cow. Well, no pig's back. Get the go. <laughs> Throw a party. My son is home. Get him a ring. Get him sandals. Get him a robe. But dad, but dad, I've been an idiot. Shh. He's home. While you're rehearsing your miserable speech of being sorry, he's trying to pour blessing on you. 
Every branch he lifts up. Give me another slide. Mark said he's going to take it up. When you made a decision, accept him. You abide in him. If you're fruitful, he'll make you more fruitful. If you're fruitless, he'll lift you up. Give me another slide. <laughs> There's the vineyard. Give me another slide. <laughs> Click. Clark Witten. How does Clark Witten? One of my favorite authors. I listen to him to go to sleep every night because he preaches like this. Well, the Lord loves you and he's going to be with you. Such a good God. <laughs> but he is my favorite preacher. I just can't listen to him at night because he puts us right to sleep. But Cheryl and I love it. I don't know. There's something comforting about it. But this is what Clark said. Clark said, how deep in the carpet do you have to stick your nose to get God to forgive you? How deep do you have to go to pull out of the firm, gripped hands of God forgiveness? I mean, how much effort does it take to pry loose God's firm grasp on his love for you? How deep does your nose have to get? How much snot do I have to let flow? Finally, for God to say, all right, I love you. Man, that's what you hear a lot at churches. You know that? He'd love you if you'd just try harder, if you'd snot up some more, if you'd feel miserable about yourself. You know what? I don't feel miserable about myself. I think I'm pretty awesome because Almighty God sent his son to die for me, which means I am incredibly special. He has valued me of incredible worth. He has seated me with him in heavenly places. He's given me joint seating with him in heavenly realms. And you know what that makes me want to do? It makes me want to respect who he called me to be and be a significant person today. I've never thought of trying not to sin. I've thought of trying to live the victorious overcoming life, which God has empowered me to live every day and walk in great authority and victory because he is the king of kings. <laughs> Only got a couple more slides. I would not trust the best 15 minutes of my life to qualify for the grace of God. Actually, I wouldn't even trust the best five minutes of my life. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless, to stand before the throne on Christ, the solid rock I stand. One more slide. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that it's the goodness of God that leads to metanoia, that leads to getting back on top? It's the goodness of God that pulls you out of the pit. It's the kindness of God that sets you in him, immovable, established forever as a child of God. Come on, stand up. Oh, that was a workout. Was that not a workout? Thank you for the people who were doing intercessory breathing for me. That was awesome. Come on, he's still moving. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's still moving. Could you bow your heads, close your eyes for me? He's still moving. He's still moving. I don't know everybody here today, but if you're here today and you don't know him, you've never made that decision to say, I want to be a child of God. You know what? It's not about what you have to do. It's about what you have to accept. It's not about jumping through hoops. It's about simply saying, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Everything necessary for forgiveness is done. Everything necessary for the kingdom to be fully manifest in your life, it's done. All you have to do is change your mind right now about yourself, about what you think God's like, because he's good and he loves you and he's nuts about you. So change your mind and say, you know what? That's good news. I accept Jesus as my warrior, savior, king. And if you want to do that, 
Nobody's looking around. It's just you. But if you know that you've not made that decision to make him your savior, I want to pray with you today. And I'm going to count to three. The reason I do that is so you know when to put your hand up. But at three, would you put your hand up really high and say, pray for me, pastor? Are you ready? One, two, three. Just throw your hand up very high so I can see it. Very high. Very high. Anyone? Very high. All right, I don't see any hands, so that means you've all lifted up your hand, which means we all have to take Kelly's advice, and we need to invite some people. Would you accept Jesus if you heard that sermon? I want to know, because if it wouldn't cause people to come to Jesus, I don't want to ever preach it again. It's just nonsense. Because we're trying to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. We want everybody to know how beautiful it is to be a child of God. Can I get the altar team? Come on up. Everybody ready to pray for people? If you need prayer today, don't leave without getting prayer. Miracles happen at the altar. Deaf ears are open. I mean, man, I tell you, it may seem crude, but hemorrhoids have gone. And there's nothing too hard for him. There really isn't. All right, you ready? Let's pray. Turn to your neighbor and say, good for you. Say, God blesses you in a big way. He loves you, loves you, loves you. Father, just thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are my warrior king. Their warrior kings died. My warrior king lives forever. And thank you that I serve an eternal savior who will never, ever give up on me. Never give up on me. Never relax his grip on me. He's my loving, wonderful God. Father, I feel sorry and broken and hurt that we have misinterpreted metanoia that we have messed up the good news of the gospel with a word that you never intended. Forgive the church for really getting trapped into a, a diabolical trick of misinterpretation. But Father, I thank you that it is good news. And I'm more than willing to receive it. To receive it, I have to change my mind. To receive it, I have to embrace the new thoughts. To receive it, I have to accept that it is true. And I accept that I am a child of God. And I accept that I inherit every good thing. And I will not be slack in taking hold of all the promises. So, Father, I bless this house. I bless each and every one. I thank you, Father, for your great love. Jesus, I thank you for your grace that wraps and surrounds every one of us and will never let me go. And Holy Spirit, I thank you. I thank you for your divine comfort, but I also thank you for your divine partnership. Animate me. Pick me up. Put me on like a garment this week. Let me reveal Jesus everywhere I go. So be honored and glorified in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen.